This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 19, Episode 7. This is Writing Excuses. A miniseries on revision with Allie Fisher. Editing for intention. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Dong Wan. And I'm Allie. And we are delighted to have Allie Fisher back with us uh, for this episode, where we're going to be talking about intention. And this is like how you're approaching the editing when you're not thinking about the length, but thinking about really focusing to make the book more of the book that you want it to be. There's a a thing that um, Edgar Allan Poe said that I referenced in our last episode about writing and editing for unity of effect. And that is, in his view, what is the emotion that you want to leave the reader with? And that's a something that I share as well. And I think uh, I have certainly heard both of you talk about that quite a mm-hmm. bit, like thinking about what what effect you want to have on the reader with the book. So what are some of the questions that you ask your your authors when you're trying to get them to focus their book? Absolutely. When I'm approaching uh, a manuscript, so much of what I'm doing in the initial pass is trying to make sure I understand very clearly what the author was intending to accomplish, right? What was the unity effect that they were going for? Um, You know, since everyone else has a quote on this topic, I also have one, which is a Dolly Parton quote, yes, uh, which is uh, figure out who you are and then do it on purpose, you know? And so much, I think, of writing a book is the process of figuring out what is this book? Who is this book? Why did you write it? And I think sometimes you'll have an idea going into it. And sometimes that idea isn't clear until you finished it or what you originally thought it was about turned out not to be what the book was about. Right. So I think the process of writing it is often, no matter how much planning you do, discovery of what your intentions were and are and what you want them to be going forward, right? And so that's so much of the thing that's going to be informing your editing process and your revision process as you dive back into it. I love that so much. That that Dolly Parton quote makes me so happy. And it it also ties into something that I just took a, a class with uh, Tobias Bacall, And he was talking about um, finding your spark. But one of the things that he said that just set off all sorts of fireworks and sparks in my head was that you read your favorite author because of what they do well, not because of what they don't do well. So like, you know, when you're reading Asimov, it's not because of his characterization. Like, that's not why you read Asimov. (laughs) Nope. Nope. Truly not. She Um, likes jewelry. (laughs) (laughs) End of character. Uh, and yep. <laughs> That's all you need, really. Um, it goes with the diamonds. Yeah. But uh but but it, for me it was like thinking about um like really leaning into what you do well and the things that you enjoy as a representative audience member yourself as as a writer. Yeah. So that's that that's for me, I think, uh, just an exciting way to think about it. It's like, what, mm-hmm. what do I, what do I, what do I love about this, and how can I make it more of what I love? It's such a good reframe. Uh, author Joe Walton had a series of posts. I don't know if they were like critique or love letters, but they got um, all published in a book by Tor um, that was called 
what makes this book so great. Uh, and that was what the series was called. I just thought that was such a um, wonderful way to approach like the reading experience, but also a very helpful way to approach the revision period, which is mm-hmm. when you are expected and most likely will be extremely hard on yourself. Um, mm-hmm. And we're not talking about the full editorial process in this episode, um, but stay tuned until next week or two weeks from yes, now. That's the plan. <laughs> next week. Yeah. Um, stay tuned. But I will say one of the things that, you know, when talking about um, revision and intention, I always do my best to try to remember to flag the things that rule like what's mm-hmm. so awesome here like this made me cry don't touch it you know i want it i want to get hurt let's talk about how to hurt me more uh or like you know what this was so great so what else is like that or like what else mm-hmm. can we do to sort of putting those flags down i think it's just really helpful because it can yeah. be it's a really hard time it's a really hard time to be with the story and just remembering what all those good things is really helpful. Yeah. I think second only to show, don't tell, which is uh, something I complained about last episode. Um, one of the most common repeated refrains of writing advice that just drives me bonkers is uh, kill your darlings. Ugh. Right. Yeah. There's this idea yeah. that, you know, there are times when you do have to cut something you love. Right. And we talked about this mm-hmm. a little bit last time about cutting a, a character or cutting a scene or an element that isn't, tying that is slowing your pacing down or isn't you know supporting the main action of the story or the main intention of the story but that's different from this idea that's like oh if i if you love this thing then it shouldn't be in the book you wrote this book the reason we are here is because we like the things that you're doing well i mean this is exactly you know going back to toby's quote um i don't remember the exact wording but just this idea of like we're reading this for a reason And that reason is probably the thing that you're most excited about because Mm -hmm. your energy and enthusiasm and interest are going to come through, right? Now, don't overindulge in that, right? Don't like luxuriate in that at the expense of all the other elements that the book has to have. But don't kill your darlings. Love them. Find ways to support them and give them an environment that they can be best observed, appreciated, and so they can flourish for the reader. Yeah. For me, it's that you have to be willing to kill them if they are pulling the book out yeah. of alignment. Um, and that's, you know, sometimes if you've got a book that's got this really clean, spare, uh, austere sense of language, and then you've got one sentence that has a lot of flourishes in it that you love, that sentence stands out, not because it's a bad sentence, not because you love it, but because it is in contrast to everything else that's happening in the book. It is not part of that unity of effect. Mm-hmm. There are times when you want a contrast, but mm-hmm. you want to make sure that it's a, a contrast that is applied deliberately and for an effect itself. Right. Do you want that attention? Because you're grabbing it. Like, yeah. is this the subject or the topic or the moment that needs that spotlight? Because it's got it. Yeah. And so for me, when I'm thinking about uh, this editing for intention, the the thing that I'm you know, coming back to is always like, why is this scene here? Why is this moment here? If I'm trying to trying to fix something, um, sometimes I'm looking at it and like, you know, I can't get the sentence to work and then realize it's because it does it just it doesn't fit. And there's some part of me that knows that it doesn't belong there. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and if I query, like, what is what is my intention with this sentence? What what function is it serving in this scene? That I can usually either swap it out for something different that serves better, or recognize that it doesn't have one and cut it. But it is it is always coming to the why as my starting point. Yeah. Um, well, we, we've talked a lot about like sort of philosophical and um, maybe potentially political, but like the effect that the book is having and that intention. Uh, do we also want to talk a little bit about the intention of like how to publish it and like whether or not you're planning on going to a major publisher or publishing yourself or making Absolutely. it into a zine, like printing your own, you know, booklet. Um, I think knowing the, the uh, expectation or the mm-hmm. like excitement of the reader in different spaces or like, you know, what is most exciting to people right now, you know, like uh, they're, could, we were talking about uh, the Oops All Battles novel in, in our last <laughs> right. uh, in our last episode, and I feel like there there are certain areas that that could potentially hit stronger. And I think maybe knowing where you're going with the story or where you're hoping to take the story out is a good thing to keep in mind because there will be expectations based on whatever that publishing process looks like. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a really great point. There there is the the reason that you write is not the same reason that you publish. Mm-hmm. I, I always really strongly encourage writers not to think about the market when they're drafting or yeah. coming up with a book, right? Like don't write to the market, but what you can do is edit to the market a yeah. little bit, right? You don't want to overdo it, but there's ways in which once you have a draft of the thing and now you're sitting there figuring out like, okay, here's the book I wrote. I love it. How do I get this to in front of as many readers as I can? That's the point at which you can now start to consider, okay, what categories does this fit in? Is this for adults? Is this for teens? Is it for a middle grade audience? Is it genre? Is it literary? You know, these are sort where you can start mm-hmm. to edit and start tweaking things to push it in one direction or another. Sometimes it can be hard to completely do a 180 in terms of your direction once you have the draft. But, you know, you can move it 10 degrees this way, 10 degrees that way. And I think start to hit a really specific audience and a specific reader that you're aiming for. I mean, even within, even within, right, traditional publishing and within my work, I've had a situation where cover art comes in before the, the book is finished. And like, we realize like, oh, there's you know, like there's an expectation here, like an even cozier, even like whatever expectation, let's put mm-hmm. in more food, more delicious, like moments mm-hmm. and like more textures. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the sequel, like, Oh, what if it's snowing and there's, there's a cozy <laughs> fire. Like there are things that can be really surprising that can have an effect. This is obviously way down, you know, way down the line, but you might be surprised at some of the things that affect mm-hmm. your revision. By the end of yeah, the I've had situations where we wrote up the copy to pitch it to a publisher. And in writing the copy, we both went like, wait a minute, there's something that's not working. There's a huge piece of this that needs to change because it just wasn't hitting. It wasn't, it wasn't, that intention wasn't coming through both in terms of what the author was trying to get across, but also with how we were trying to publish it and who we were trying to publish it for. And so we really like took it back, broke it down and we're like added a whole other, I think we added like 20,000 words, added a whole new character arc and a new POV 
based on trying to write the pitch for the book, like we were ready to go out with it. And then suddenly like six months later, we're like, okay, now we're ready to go out with it. You know, sometimes it really is that much of a process of figuring out, you know, how do we target it for who we're trying to get it to? Um, I absolutely have been in the same situation where I've been like, wait, I, you know, I'm like working on adjusting some copy and being like, I actually don't know what the stakes are, but I didn't care. So what does that mean? <laughs> you know, like right. <laughs> during the read, it didn't bother me, but now, you know, like, is there space for that? Is it needed? That kind of thing. Yeah. So when we come back from our break, we're going to talk a little bit more about intentions and, and how to figure out what your intention is when you finished a book, but actually don't know what it's about. So, Dong Wan assures me that they've already pitched you Scavenger's Rain, an animated show I assume you're all now watching. It is gorgeous, vivid, kind of psychedelic, dark science fiction. Um, and a while back, I got to work with the co-creator of that show, Joe Bennett, um, on illustrating two books with us. One that he also co-wrote with Dira White called I Will Not Die Alone about learning the end is nigh and basically just playing D&D with new friends. And he also illustrated a book by comedian Joe Para called A Bathroom Book for People Not Pooping or Peeing but Using the Bathroom to Escape. Uh, both are now available from Forge Books and you should check them out. So we've been talking a lot about different types of intention, but one of the things that I will hear early career writers say, and indeed have experienced myself, is, I don't know what this book is about. <laughs> uh, Nancy Cress, who is a phenomenal writer, said this thing to me that just, like, I, I shiver in my, my very bones, that she writes a draft, and that that is what tells her what the book is about. And then she throws that draft away completely and starts writing again from scratch, wow. now that she knows what the book is about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm like, I can't not. Mm -mm. Um, but I, I've also heard other, you know, other people and myself say this. And then someone will say like one chance thing. And, and I'm like, oh, that's what my book is about. Yeah. So how do you help your writers understand what their book is about? Like, what are some of the questions that you ask? I'm hoping well, for pearls of wisdom that will help me. <laughs> yeah. with this well, in my like, career. Oh, right. How do we know? I mean, and I wouldn't forgot one. Process. Uh, uh, one of the things that I do is I tell them what I think it's about hmm. and then get to watch their face and find out <laughs> if they're like, oh, no, or like, oh, yay. Or, you know, I hadn't seen that piece of it, whatever. Um, it's It's, I love to go in with a very like, I'm I'm often wrong. Here's what I think attitude and just sort of see what what that surface is for somebody. But in terms of actually identifying it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's this is I think people ask a lot. You know, I have a undergraduate degree in English literature, and I think people ask a lot if like that's useful in what I do. And in most ways, it isn't right. It's not like I learned grammar from that or or how to compose prose for that but the one thing it did give me was critical reading skills right and how to think critically about the stuff that i am reading thematically what what there is in it and it's not even so much the formal instruction that helped me do that is just the reading a ton of books right and i think this is one of the reasons why i so strongly encourage if you want to be a writer if you want to work in publishing 
you have to like books first and foremost, and you have to read books first and foremost, and try and stay current with what's happening out there. Because when when you're consuming enough media, when you're consuming those things, you start to understand why you like something, what it is about it that even if you don't know how to articulate it, you know, when we say that we want you to understand what your book is about, I don't need you to be able to sum it up in a sentence. I don't need you to be able to tell me in part you wrote the book because you don't have a simpler way of explaining whatever it is that you were trying to get to with writing the book, right? And that's okay. That's great, actually. Um, it's my job to figure out how to uh, frame it up in a pithy few sentences so they can go on the back of a book or go to an editor or whatever it is. So, you know, I think for me, it really is putting those critical skills in place as I'm reading to figure out okay, what is this project? What are they trying to accomplish here? What are the thematics of it? What are the things that are really jumping out at me that seem to resonate with the person behind this book? Now, that's me as a third party coming in. And again, what Ali was saying, I think is so true of sometimes it's about presenting that idea and watching it bounce off the person you talk to. And hopefully you're close. And sometimes it's like, (laughs) oh, wow, I am way off here. And either something is wrong about how I read it or there's something not working in the book. Um, and that is always a really interesting moment. And that conversation is can be a really exciting one that leads to a deeper shared understanding of what are we trying to do here? And then we can approach the edit with that sort of refocus on the intention. When you don't have access to an editor or an agent to to do this for you, um, because I, I've, I've absolutely had that happen uh, on the Spearman um Claire looked at the book and said, uh, this is a story about a woman of privilege who uh, wants to get her hands dirty. And I was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And, you know, the for me, the thing about that is um, that 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 is a declarative statement. But when I go into the book, um, the the thing that I have found most useful is to figure out what question I'm asking. And uh, this is uh, reframing something that Elizabeth Bear said, like, you know how you're having a casual dinner conversation and someone just says something brilliant and you're like, well, that's going to (laughs) shape everything I write from now on. Um, And she said uh, that the difference between a story and a polemic is that a story asks questions and a polemic answers them. Mm. And... The, the thing for me about a novel in particular is that a novel can show so many different answers, so many different possible ways, and leave room for the reader to decide what their own answer to that question is. So for me, one of the things that helps when I'm trying to focus a story is to think about, like, what is the big question I'm asking? You know, um, in, uh, and, and it, it's, it, it varies. Um, sometimes it's something like, um, how do you handle it when your spouse is depressed? You know, sometimes it's a very straightforward one like that. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes it's a big societal one. Like, how do you create community? Like, what does community mean to, Mm -hmm. to you? Like, what are the different ways community expresses? And, and then when I'm, when I'm writing, I can evaluate against that question. It's like, does this scene explore that question? Um, and if it doesn't, is there a way I can add that? Um, and if there's not, what is this scene doing? Why is this scene in here? And right. it's not that every scene has to be, you know, 
providing an exact answer to to this, but it's even if it's just one moment in the scene where that is explored, it still helps me. Um, it helps me with focusing and making decisions mm-hmm. about what to what to include in that. But if your book isn't feeling like it has a clear purpose, if it has a clear direction, then I think that's a great way to go about it. It's asking those questions of, is this particular scene supporting the central question that I'm asking? And if the answer is no, then does this scene need to be here? Or does this scene need to shift in its purpose to better support whatever that central thing is, right? So, you know, um, I, I think being able to have some clarity about what that question is and also what your personal connection to that question is. I see a lot of times someone will come into a book and they'll be asking a big question about society or about how a certain relationship works, but I can't feel why that question's important to the person in particular. And, you know, sometimes digging until you get that personal connection where Mm -hmm. you can feel the author in the story is the thing that really makes the book pop for me. That's when I get very excited when I I can suddenly be like, Oh, I see you. You're here. This matters to you because of X, Y, or Z. Um, And, you know, sometimes it's something as simple as a shared identity. And sometimes it's very nuanced and complex in a way that could not be explained without 30 hours of conversation about the, the author's like life. But whatever that is, you should feel a connection to the questions that are being asked by your book and, you know, find a way to really focus on that. Make sure you're highlighting that in all the major beats of your story. Absolutely. One of the other things that I've found um, along those lines is, um, you know, again, that, that that personal connection is is thinking about the um, the tone that I want the book to have. Mm-hmm. Um because I'm I'm measuring against a bunch of different things. And in, in an ideal world, I'm just writing it and I'm feeling it and it's there. But when I'm revising it and I'm having to make decisions, um, you know, like my first series, Jane Austen with Magic. It's like, does this feel like Jane Austen with Magic right yeah. now? Um, Spare Man, Thin Man in Space. Does this feel like, does it have that feel? Um, no? Okay, uh, fine. There needs to be more cocktails, obviously. Um, <laughs> like, you know, who's who's... The, 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 you know, where is the small dog right now? Um, so I think that that's another question that you can ask yourself is like, what is the tone that I want? What is, mm-hmm. what's my vibe? Yeah. And, and is this supporting it or is it, is it a deliberate juxtaposition? Yeah. I, that's so helpful because I do feel like purpose can start to feel sort of like academic. Mm-hmm. It can feel a little bit like intellectualized in a way that I think rightfully a lot of people would bristle against but uh it can be really basic it can be like i want to give people a laugh or like i want mm-hmm. you know yeah. i want to show how cool explosions are you know <laughs> like you yeah. probably or give that cozy feeling of being by the fire right yes like, yeah. yes there probably is more there if you wrote a full novel like there's more there but also like that is a very legitimate and exciting and cool sort of jump off point that needs to be honored uh, in a very similar way, I think. Mm-hmm. Especially, and again, yeah. it's not something you need to necessarily be even able to articulate. You just need to have a, like a feeling of what the vibe is, and if you can lock into that vibe, that's all you need. You just need a tone, like a, an image, a thought, a question. Any of these things can be your guiding light. I just encourage you to try and figure out what that sort of lodestone is for you that is going to pull you through it and keep you consistent when you're asking questions about should this stay, should this change, whatever it happens to be. 
Find your vibe. Great, yeah. <laughs> I think that's a great segue to take us to our uh, our homework for this week. And Ali, I think you have that. Uh, I do. Uh, thank you for asking. <laughs> or telling or saying. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> yes, I do. Your homework this week. Write down what you like best about your book. Find a spot in your book where you can incorporate that element where it isn't now. Godspeed. This has been writing excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go edit some more. Hey, writer. Have you sold a short story or finished your first novel? Let us know. We love hearing about how you've applied the stuff we've been talking about to craft your own success stories. Use the hashtag WXSuccess on social media or drop us a line at success at writingexcuses.com. Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. For this episode, your hosts were Mary Robinette Kowal, Dong Wan Song, Aaron Roberts, and Howard Taylor. This episode was engineered by Marshall Carr Jr., mastered by Alex Jackson, and produced by Emma Reynolds. For more information, visit writingexcuses.com. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.